Well, I need to admit right up front that I'm going to miss going through Romans uh, this week. It's been such a treat, but don't worry. We're going to pick it up again in January, so we'll come back around. Uh, I think it's important during this time of year to turn our hearts and our minds to the Advent season, a season that we celebrate the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a season that should be filled with hope. And we need some hope in our world today, don't we? In fact, many people may be looking for hope today than we've seen in in many years. And uh, one of the ways that I think that's true is because um, of all the Christmas decorations that you've seen come up. I don't know about your neighborhood, but I promise you our neighborhood started at least two weeks before Thanksgiving decorating for Christmas. I mean, it just filled the place. And I remember I was just thinking to myself, okay, is it just me or is this way, way early this year? Have you felt the same way? Well, it's not just me because that this same week as I was thinking about that, I read an article in the AJ and it was entitled, do you have it up there? Maybe? There it is. Oh, there it's not. And there it is. Good. And the title of it was Christmas Lights Even Before Thanksgiving. There's a reason. And you can read the article, but it quotes a psychologist. It says, on the surface, the first thing that you could argue easily is that lights, which obviously are associated with joy and bring back a lot of good memories, are a way of alleviating depression, sadness, feeling down, anxiety, stress, all the things the pandemic has increased. The bottom line, people are hungry for hope. And there is no greater hope than the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have hope because of God's perfect timing. He knows just when to show up. He knows just when to speak up. He knows just when to hold us up. And he knows just when to offer himself up. Those are the truths that we're going to look at together as we spend time during this Advent season. Beginning this morning with a look at God's perfect timing. We see how Jesus came at just the right time to just the right person in just the right way. So before we look at that together this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for this season of hope, and we know that our world is hungry for hope. And I just pray that as your people are renewed in their own hearts and minds about the hope that we have in you, that it would stir within us a desire to share that hope to the world around us in how we live, in what we say, and how we interact in such intentional and meaningful ways. Lord, would you stir that within us beginning this morning as we look at the hope of you coming to be with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at a familiar passage announcing the birth of Jesus. And so if you want to Follow along with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city called, uh, to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
Now, these first two verses, believe it or not, are packed with some really important information. It says in the beginning that it was the sixth month, and it's referring specifically to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's the announcement that immediately precedes this one. And as you know, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. So what Luke is saying here is in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent Gabriel to speak to Mary. Now, Gabriel, interestingly, is one of only three angels in all of the Bible that is named. He appears here in the New Testament and only once in the Old Testament when he speaks to the prophet Daniel. And there's a really cool and important connection between these two appearances. Because in Daniel, Gabriel announces when the Messiah will come. You see, Daniel's in the midst of praying. He's seeking the Lord, and in the midst of that prayer, Gabriel shows up. Let's look at that together. It's in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And I want to begin reading in verse 20, if you want to follow along with me. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. This is Daniel speaking. He says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness, about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision." You'll notice in verse 23, I think that's, this is interesting, is that God actually answers Daniel's prayer before he even speaks it. It says, at the beginning of his supplication, so just as he was getting started, God sent Gabriel to give the answer to the prayer yet spoken. And when he does, he tells him when the Messiah will come. He does that next, beginning in verse 24. He says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are now, so, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Hang on to that. It will be built again, speaking of Jerusalem, with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now, this is a hugely significant prophecy, and we won't even begin to unpack the full detail, but let me summarize it this way. The literal interpretation of 70 weeks is 70 sevens, and it's speaking specifically of 70 weeks of years, and so 70 sevens would literally be 490 years. 
Gabriel says that in the first week, so 49 years, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. And we know that's exactly what happened with Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. Just as the scripture foretold, they were the ones that were a part of the remnant who returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the city in, yes, you guessed it, about 49 years. And then Gabriel says, after 62 weeks, if again, if you do the math, that's about 430 years, it says the Messiah will be cut off. But this comes only after he fulfills the mission of what is spoken of in verse 24, where it says, now think about what's being described here. He will make an end to sin. There will be a final atonement. There will be everlasting righteousness. It says, then the Messiah will be cut off, or more specifically, as we now know, crucified. Using the Jewish calendar, the timing of this prophecy lines up precisely with the life of Jesus Christ. So get this. The angel Gabriel, who spoke to Daniel and told him exactly when the Messiah would come, is the very same angel who speaks to Mary and tells her the time has arrived. The Messiah has come, just as God had promised. See, that's how these two are connected. Isn't that incredible? So literally, Jesus came at just the right time. Look at how it continues. Go back to our verse in in, uh, Luke chapter 1, and let's pick up in verse 28. Verse 28 says, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. And kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus came at just the right time, and he came to just the right person. And that's not because Mary is extraordinarily unique in comparison to the rest of humanity. In fact, the Bible describes her in surprisingly ordinary ways. Tells us that she was from Galilee, which is a large farming community. When we went to Israel and we drove through Galilee, Galilee, I've never seen so many different crops, almonds next to bananas, next to cotton, next to dates. It was incredible. And that's where she grew up. It says that she grew up in the nondescript town of Nazareth. So nondescript that one of the disciples, Nathaniel, said, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? We know that she was a young girl because women at that age were betrothed as early as 12 years old. Usually that betrothal, that engagement would last at least a year before a wedding actually took place. So this tells us that Mary was a teenager at best. So way too young and naive to impress anyone, much less God. And yet when Gabriel addresses Mary, he says, Greetings, favored one. 
And the root word for that word favor is the word grace. And so Mary is favored because she is the object of God's grace. She's favored not because of anything that she has done for God, but because of what God has chosen to do through her. And I want you to notice that when Gabriel, the angel, speaks to Mary, he calls her by name. He knows her. So that's telling us that Mary's not some random person that he just drew out of a hat. She was a very specific person. She's the one who will conceive, will bear a son, and she will name him Jesus. And that description mirrors the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14. In fact, the angel of the Lord actually quotes that verse in his announcement to Joseph. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Speaking to Joseph, he says, She will bear a son, talking of Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's the key. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So as we can already see, the birth of Christ was the fulfillment of multiple Old Testament prophecies. In fact, let me, for good measure, add one more. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, says this. When the days are complete, and this is the Lord speaking to King David. It says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul when I removed it from before you. Your house And your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, both of these prophecies, the one Isaiah, the one in 2 Samuel, are what follows a pattern of what's called near fulfillment and far fulfillment. There was a fulfillment that was near to the prophecy and an even greater fulfillment that would be far from that prophecy. So, for example, in 2 Samuel that passage that we just looked at, the Lord is speaking of David's son Solomon. That's the near fulfillment of the prophecy. We know that he would assume the throne and that he ruled over Israel and that he did, in fact, build the temple as the Lord said he would. But God also says that the throne of David will endure forever, which did not apply to Solomon. And we know that because after he died, the kingdom was actually divided. And after several years, there was actually no king in Israel whatsoever. So the far fulfillment of that promise had to take place at some point in the distant future. And Gabriel is telling Mary that time of fulfillment is now. This is Jesus. He's a descendant of David whose kingdom will have no end. Just as God promised, his throne will endure forever. 
Gabriel also highlights the fact that since he will be born of a virgin, he will be called the Son of the Most High. Not the Son of Mary, but the Son of the Most High. And unlike the fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy in the Old Testament where a virgin who would later be with a man who would then bear a child naturally, the later fulfillment would be the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ. He would be known as the Son of God. A phrase that's actually repeated some 50 times in the New Testament. It was a phrase to you to describe Jesus as God's representative in human form. It's kind of like when people describe a son as a, a chip off the old block, right? You've heard that phrase before. What they're saying is that that son possesses the very same qualities as his dad. Well, the same is true for Jesus. He's, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God. So Jesus came at just the right time, fulfilling the promise perfectly as God said it would be. Jesus came to just the right person, a, a virgin, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, a descendant of David, fulfilling the promise, the covenant promise of a kingdom that would endure forever. And Jesus also arrived in just the right way. Let's look at that beginning in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called Son of God. The word virgin literally translated says, knows no man. So Mary had never been intimate with a man. So she asked a logical question. How can I be pregnant if I've never been with a man? So Gabriel explains. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called Son of God. Now, anytime something is repeated in Scripture, you can be guaranteed it's important. And this is the second time that he highlights the fact that Jesus would be called Son of the Most High or Son of God. And he's even said three times now that Mary would be a virgin. So clearly that's important as well. And here's why. Jesus was not created. He was begotten, not made. Now, that's a hard word to understand, begotten, right? But you see it in Scripture. And so C.S. Lewis explains it this way. I think this is helpful. He says, when you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. A bird begets eggs, which then turn into little birds. But when you make, you make something of a different kind from yourself. A bird makes a nest. A beaver builds a dam. A man makes a radio. See the difference? Listen how the Apostle John explains it in his gospel. If you want to turn there with me, John chapter 1. I want you to see how he essentially explains the very same thing. Beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. Now skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory of the only, there it is, begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word in verse 1 is then called the Son in verse 14. There's one of the 50 times you'll see that phrase. Verse 3 says that everything came into being through the Son, which means this. The Son could not have been created because everything was created by the Son. In fact, there was never a time when the Son did not exist. And yet the Son, that second person of the Trinity, took on human form. In the womb of Mary, the creature took on the form, or the creator took on the form of the creature. But, but the nature and essence of God himself. And here's why this is important, so hang with me on this. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, if you'll just listen as I read this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. It says, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So I want you to notice here the combination of the divinity and the humanity of Jesus combined together in one person. Because it says in the beginning that he was the fullness, the fullness of God dwelled in him. That's the divinity. But then it goes on and says that his blood was shed on the cross. That's his humanity. It's important to see this because you have to have both. See, one man cannot give his life for another man. One sinful person cannot give his life for another sinful person. In fact, I couldn't even give my own life to cover my own sin. And that's because I'm what would be called in the Old Testament a blemished sacrifice. And it is not acceptable in the eyes of God. The only sacrifice sufficient to forgive our sins is the one who knew no sin. In his humanity, Jesus became a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, meaning he took our place in his humanity, on the cross. But we also know that Jesus, as we've learned in Romans, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What that tells us is that he is an unblemished, perfect sacrifice, acceptable in the eyes of God for the forgiveness of all the sins for all who believe for all time. You see, Jesus came in just the right way. He was fully God, and he was fully man. Look at how it continues in verse 36. It says, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived the son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
these last few verses are really encouraging to me because after having been visited by an angel, as if that's not enough, after having been spoken the words of God who only, he spoke things that only God would have known, even after that miraculous event, he still gives her a sign to help her understand that what he said is true. And he tells her about her relative Elizabeth. Now, Mary had a strong affection for Elizabeth, and we know that because of the emotion of their encounter when they met each other. They were clearly glad to see each other. And I expect that Elizabeth had probably shared with Mary the difficult of not being able to have children. Now, in a very small way, I understand some of what that pain is like. Because Terry and I were told that we wouldn't be able to have kids either. We tried for about seven years went to all the extremes of medical treatment that we were comfortable with for them to finally tell us there's nothing more we can do. And I'll never forget the sadness for my sweet wife when we were told that news. And I'm sure Elizabeth shared some of that very same sadness with her relative Mary. But God tells Mary, your relative who was barren is now pregnant. That even in her old age, she will bear a child and not just any child. This child will be the one who announces the coming Messiah. This will be John the Baptist. As it speaks of in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, fulfilling the prophecy of the one who announces the Messiah, says he is the one referred to by the prophet Isaiah, who said, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. As God said through Gabriel to Mary, there is nothing that is impossible with God. For God so, so that whoever believes in him, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And look at Mary's beautiful response again in verse 38, where she says, may it be done to me according to your word. Isn't that incredible? But yet, that's the only right response when you truly do believe that nothing is impossible with God. That's... The response of someone who does believe that God's timing is perfect, that he works at just the right time through just the right people in just the right way. This is a person who stands on the truth of God's spoken word. So let me ask you this. Think about this sincerely. Does that describe you? Does it describe you? Or are we more inclined to say, Lord, may it be done to me according to what I believe is best for me. (laughs) And please do according to my timing and in my way. I don't know about you, but I've prayed that prayer more than once. Lord, would you please bless what I really want to do? But I want to be more like Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. I mean, isn't that the heart of Jesus when he says, not my will, Father, but your will be done? 
we should pray, Lord, help me believe that your way is best and that your timing is perfect, even if it's not exactly what I had in mind. So as we enter the Advent season, let me encourage us all just to renew our trust in the Lord, renew our belief that his timing is perfect. He does exactly what he says he will do. In fact, everything that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus happened exactly as, Jesus, as God said it would. And really, it happened in the only way it could have happened. Just the right time, just the right person, just the right way. And I can assure you, not one person in this room would have ever come up with that plan. But God came up with that plan. Scripture tells us even before the world began, and here's what's awesome. He came up with that plan with you in mind. Because just like Mary, you are the object of God's grace. Just like Mary, he has revealed himself to you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is our hope in life and in death. Amen? Let me pray for us, and then let's sing together. Lord, thank you for that promise of hope fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your perfect timing, the way in which you told us exactly how things would happen, and it happened at just the right time, as you said it would, it happened with just the right person, as it needed to be. A virgin, just as Isaiah prophesied, a, a descendant of David, just as you promised it would be, who would have an everlasting kingdom and who would bring everlasting righteousness in just the right way. That combination of fully God and fully man, perfect humanity, he who was without sin, perfect divinity, becoming that atoning sacrifice for us. Lord, thank you for the way you work in such miraculous ways because nothing is impossible with you. And Lord, if we really believe that, would you help us proclaim as we see with Mary, may it be done to me, O great God, creator of all that we know, may it be done to me according to your word, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. So just a reminder, when we talk about hope as a Christian, we're not talking about something we are wishing for, like I hope it rains tomorrow, right? We're talking about a sure and certain hope, and I, and I do hope that this morning what we walk through together helps firm that up for you, to realize that, man, this is incredible, that the very same angel who told Daniel exactly when the Messiah would come is the very same angel who told Mary that time is now, right on time. And to see how he did it with just the right person. It's not a coincidence that she was a descendant of David and that Joseph was a descendant of David. It's not a coincidence that she was a virgin lining up with the prophecy of Isaiah. Those are very certain facts that Jesus fulfilled and God said was true. 
fully God and fully man. Do, do you see how our hope is certain? And it is sure. And so I want you to be encouraged by that as we go into Christmas to recognize that we have something that we can hang on to for eternity. It is that sure and certain. Amen? Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the chance to begin Advent season with such incredible truths of what you have fulfilled just as you have promised. Our hope is not something that is wishful. It is certain because it is you and nothing is impossible with you, Lord. So Lord, may we live because of that hope with the same heart as Mary expressed. May it be done to us according to your word, because you are faithful to your word. Our hope is sure. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.